We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Well, welcome back. Thursday, August 3rd, 2023. I am Seth Liebson. I've got David Dahl in my producer's chair. The phone number is 602-508-0960-602-5080-960 for uh, all cardinal points of the compass. For those of you in earshot, want to call in a little more on the Trump indictment agonistes. As historians like Michael Beschloss continue to impute that the Civil War, World War II, and September 11th were analogous to what Donald Trump did in attempting to delay the certification of the election in January of 2021, is so overwrought that the American Historical Association ought to take back the membership of such historians. It's an abuse of history to make these comparisons and analogies. But then again, the left is so overwrought on so much, one comes to start expecting these things, as we wonder why our understanding of American and world history is so illiterate. It is illiterate because junk thought is being paraded around as if it is excellence, when in fact it comes from beneath the gutter. So what do we expect of the vast majority of the American people when their major newspapers don't report relevant news of scandal about the Bidens, as the New York Times and Washington Post this week deep-sixed the hearing and testimony of Hunter Biden's business partner, Devon Archer? What are we to expect of the vast majority of the American people when otherwise celebrated and established authors and historians like Michael Beschloss make these disanalogous and inapt comparisons to Donald Trump summoning their worst excesses in history to attach to a one-day event, the consequences of which amounted to little more than a peaceful transfer of power with .0000001% of the wreckage that attended the summer riots of 2020, about which the Democrats either said nothing or actively encouraged. I was having a conversation with a friend this morning who asked, what is there to be done about all this? It's a perennial question, but I don't think the answer is elusive. Almost all of what ails us, almost all of it, requires little more than a political solution. Our problems are cultural, and they are political, but the relationship between politics and culture is honeycombed with interrelated latticework. The cultural issue of fatherlessness, for example, was driven by political malfeasance of welfare policy that discriminated against work and marriage. The cultural issue of crime was driven by elected district attorneys, mayors, and governors. Same to chronic homelessness. The economy is driven by the decisions of our elected leaders and the legislation they pass. So my pitch is always take politics more seriously. Find candidates that know what they are doing, that have good ideas and solutions, and most importantly, can win. You'll recall William Buckley's rule for support of Republicans in a primary. Find the most conservative candidate who can win. Those last three words are important, perhaps more important than the first five. I worry about our party just now, whether I'm watching the fusillade of attacks between the Trump forces and the DeSantis forces, the bitterness and snark of which I don't recall seeing in my lifetime, 
or whether I'm listening to wholesale dismissals of Republicans or conservatives because they depart from other conservatives or Republicans on solitary issues like support for the Ukraine. To wit, a respective conservative commentator recently said, quote, if you support the war in in Ukraine, you're a rhino, close quote. That means Dennis Prager, Seb Gorka, and Mark Levin are rhinos. I've seen this on other issues as well, mutatis, mutandis. This needs to stop. We were looking at Barry Goldwater's 1964 address to the Republican convention yesterday, especially a part that picked up on a theme of his from the 1960 convention when, not receiving the nomination, he denounced those who were hesitant, if not resistant, to support his primary opponent, Richard Nixon. Then, in 1960, he said, let's grow up, conservatives. Our party and our movement is too big and too important to sit out the election because we didn't get our way. He said then, the fight was not within the party, but against what he called a blueprint of socialism. And that blueprint of socialism, he said, could only triumph if conservatives did not grow up. In 1964, he went further with that theme in his speech. He said, quote, we must not see malice and honest differences of opinion. And no matter how great, so long as they are not inconsistent with the pledges we have given to each other in and through our Constitution, a Republican cause is not to level out the world or make its people conform in computer-regimented sameness. Our Republican cause is to free our people and light the way for liberty throughout the world. Ours is a very humane cause for very humane goals. I worry we forget that sometimes. And while we attach ourselves to personalities over principles and victories, we allow the once blueprint of socialism to further kineticize and metastasize itself throughout our politics and our culture. You see, the liberal left in America really does think the specter of Donald Trump is 911, is World War II, is the Confederacy, but they think that about all of us. Witness how the liberal left reacted to Ron DeSantis's more than commonsensical education reforms in Florida that deracialized and desexualized the curriculum there and how they now lie about Florida's history standards. And we take this all from a party that has a president who called the Republican Party the party of Bull Connor and Jefferson Davis and George Wallace. Who's assaulting what history? We take it from a party whose chairman of the DNC called Republicans the party of fascism and fear several times. This is a Democratic Party that needs to relearn the word extreme, even as they wage it against us. To wit, the governor in Arizona, a Democrat, has called Republicans neo-Nazis. The Democratic Party turns a blind eye and a deaf ear towards rioting and even hosts and boasts of a vice president who encouraged such rioting and helped fund the bailing out of the violent rioters. It is a party, the Democratic Party, that nominates and defends justices to the Supreme Court who cannot and will not answer the simple question, what is a woman? It is a party, the Democratic Party, that supports efforts to encourage children to physically change their biological sex and that supports concealing those efforts from their parents. Today's Democratic Party is a party that believes 1776 was not our founding date and that slavery is our national ethic of origin, not freedom or equality. It is a party that believes people should be judged for the most sublime positions, privileges, and immunities based on human beings' most crude characteristics like their race rather than their most refined and human characteristics like their abilities and their morality. 
It is a party that supports the legalization of dangerous drugs and the encouragement to try to use them, quote-unquote, safely, rather than try to get help for addicts or support prevention so as to stop them from the enslavement of their souls and the destruction of their minds that such encouragement and use represents and activates. It is a party that thinks it is just fine to teach five-year-olds to think and act out sexually with age-inappropriate lessons and behaviors. That's what the Democrats want to mainstream. The same party that believes it okay for men to compete in women's sports and at every age for men to enter and use women's bathrooms and showers and locker rooms. It is a party whose president spent an hour and a half one-on-one with one of the most absurdly ridiculous transgender women in social media phenoms while saying he doesn't have time to visit devastated cities in America like East Palestine or the border due to the important demands on his time. It is a party that hosts striptease shows on the White House lawn for the 4th of July and remains uninterested in the extreme that cocaine was found near the Situation Room at the White House. Today's Democratic Party is a party that wants to shovel hundreds of billions of dollars to the leading state sponsor of terrorism in the world. It is a party that thinks we should have another carbon copy of Iran or Syria in Gaza in the West Bank while stripping the rights and power of the United States' greatest ally in the Middle East, an ally that is as close to the United States in political and civil rights and freedom and foreign policy outlook as any country can possibly exist. It is a party that wants to boycott travel and finances to that country. Today's Democratic Party is a party that wants to secure other nations' borders with weapons, personnel, and taxpayer expenses, but does not want to protect its own border. It is a party that wants to strip First and Second Amendment rights from Americans, but wants to elevate beyond any limit Fourth, Fifth, Sixth, and Eighth Amendment rights for violent criminals. It is a party, true to its origins, that believes states and municipalities can nullify federal laws. It is a party that wants gates, fences, and armed security for itself in leafy and expensive suburbs, but does not want other Americans to have those same barriers barriers and mechanisms of security and self-defense. Today's Democratic Party is a party that wants to give and has given voting rights to non-citizens. It is a party that believes American citizens must be mandated to take experimental vaccines multiple times to enter the country or for children to go to school or engage in social activities, even when children are not at noticeable risk for ill health or mortality from the very thing the vaccine is meant to prevent or mitigate. Today's Democratic Party is a party that believes it should pay people not to work and tax people to pay for the college education of others not related or even known to them. It is a party that tries to conceal the goings-on at school board meetings and curricular debates and discussions and will weaponize the FBI to put the fear of prosecution and surveillance onto those who want to exercise their First Amendment and federally protected and parental rights at those meetings. It is a party that says parents have no right to direct their children's education where they are in public schools, that the children belong to the state. That is, I guess, moderate, if you live in Cuba or Beijing. Today's Democratic Party is a party that believes human life at seven and eight and nine months can be sliced to death depending on the whim or choice of someone else. It is a party that denounces the notion of American greatness as some kind of unheard dog whistle while insisting that it does not believe there is anything special or great or exceptional about America in the first place. Today's Democratic Party is a party that does not believe that we are one country with one constitution consisting of one people. 
and yet we're supposed to be the extreme ones. We aren't. They are. Let's never forget it. And let's, in never forgetting it and fixing it, take our politics as seriously as the other side takes theirs. It's long past time. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. It's a fun song, right? Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. I'm going to guess that you're wearing a Calvin Coolidge pin today, young David. We're keeping cool with Coolidge Keeping today. cool with Coolidge because it's his 100th anniversary, right? Yeah, 100th anniversary of his ascendancy to the presidency. Yeah. What a story that is. Yeah, you want to tell us a Getting little about it? Getting woken up at 2 in the morning, August yeah. 3rd, 1923, yeah. and the oath of office being administered by his own father, an attorney at law and public notary. Mm-hmm. That's got to be something for the ages. One of the greatest American conservative presidents. There's only Indeed. the scholarship of him has only really come to the fore over the last, I would say, ten or fifteen years. Um, just totally forgotten and dismissed by the progressive historians. He, um, as uh, National Review was pointing out, uh, proved his conservative bona fides as a governor of Massachusetts during the 1919 Boston police strike writing to labor leader Samuel Gompers that, quote, there is no right to strike against the public safety by anyone, anywhere, anytime. I am equally determined to defend the sovereignty of Massachusetts and to maintain the authority and jurisdiction over her public officers where it has been placed by the Constitution and laws of her people. Uh he said in his first uh, address to annual address to Congress, quote, under our Constitution, Indians' rights are just as sacred as those of any other citizen. It is both a public and private duty to protect those rights, including those of black citizens. There was no – I mean this, this was just – this is what the Republican Party has always been known for and so defamed for not being about. It's a perfect example of the Democrats ascribing to us that which they have stood for and believed, which is the distinction between the races, castes in our Constitution. Um, Perhaps his best speech ever, though, his best speech ever was on the 150th anniversary of this country's birth. Which was also his birthday. Yes, exactly The original born on the 4th of July. Exactly (laughs) right. Exactly right. If you want to read a great speech about our founding, read Calvin Coolidge's speech on the 150th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. It's a direct response to the progressive view of our founding that was proffered by uh, his uh, predecessor in Woodrow Wilson, his Democratic Party predecessor in Woodrow Wilson, not his immediate predecessor, but two presidents back, three, yeah, two, president, three presidents back. Um, it, was, um, it was a direct rebuke to the notion that the Declaration of Independence did not stand for and establish unchangeable permanent rights, which is what Woodrow Wilson claimed the Declaration of Independence was. Woodrow Wilson's position was that the rights the founders spoke of in the Declaration were for their period and their time, and could be changed and rewritten for other periods and other times. Calvin Coolidge said exactly the opposite. 
he put it that when the Declaration of Declaration of Independence was written, speaking of the natural rights, that it was a finality that was exceedingly restful. He said, it is often asserted that the world has made a great deal of progress since 1776, that we have had new thoughts and new experiences which have given us a great advance over the people of that day, and that we may therefore very well discard their conclusions for something more modern. That was Wilson. He was paraphrasing. Coolidge said, but that reasoning cannot be applied to this great charter. If all men are created equal, that is final. If they are endowed with inalienable rights, that is final. If governments derive their just powers from the consent of the governed, that is final. No advance, no progress can be made beyond these propositions. If anyone wishes to deny their truth or their soundness, the only direction in which he can proceed historically is not forward, but backward, toward the time when there was no equality, no rights of the individual, no rule of the people. Those who wish to proceed in that direction cannot lay claim to progress. They are reactionary. Their ideas are not more modern but more ancient than those of the Revolutionary Fathers. And he goes on from there. I'm always struck in that paragraph in that paragraph of Coolidge's that the finality of the Declaration is exceedingly restful. It's an interesting use of the, of the word. It's an interesting sentence, the idea that it's restful. As you know, one of my chief complaints about our modern politics and the world the progressives so-called put us through is that we're always in a state of crisis. We're always in a state of freneticism or frenzy. We're always put in, into, a, into a moment of time and instability. They want us always jumping and leapfrogging from issue to issue, and crisis to crisis, we call it, or I call it the crisis industrial complex. That's why I always found that sentence of Coolidge's interesting, exceedingly restful. We weren't meant to be put through that kind of, those kinds of ringers. We weren't meant to be put through those kinds of tempests. It's not healthy. It's not healthy to live in a state of constant angst, agitation, and convulsion. But from the medium to the left and the progressives, that's what we are. Marx had a term for this. It was called the permanent revolution. There's something very Marxist about this notion of crisis we're all supposed to live in. It's not the conservative view, and it wasn't the founders' view. Our view, their view, was that given our natural rights, given our equality, giving our liberty, and giving Americans the best freedoms and the most freedoms they have with a limited view of government, that things should be restful here. Or as C.S. Lewis put it, politics should only be thought of as a sick man thinks of medicine. When they're sick, they need medicine. The progressives always want us sick, don't they? We're always a sick society. Remember what Nixon said in 68? We are not a sick society. They want us sick. We want us well. Not a lot of news. I mean, it was a zoo because, you know, how could it not be? Uh, around the courthouse, the federal courthouse in Washington, D.C. today. Um, with probably more media there than protesters or supporters. 
But there's not a lot of news to come out of it. Donald Trump pled not guilty, made a brief statement on the tarmac at Reagan National on the way back to New Jersey, and that's that. Uh, there are no cameras in federal courts. There's no audio transcript of what took place. We, we know pretty much what t- took place. The charges were read to him, and he pled not guilty, and a trial schedule will be set. That's the story. That's what all the Sturm and Drang today was all about. And no, there was no mugshot. You don't need a mugshot. You don't need a mugshot of the most famous face in the world, do you? I don't think so. Although I guess the prosecutor in Georgia is saying if we get to a, an arrest or an arraignment, he, he will give him a mugshot. You know, I, it, it probably doesn't matter. It, it'll, be, it'll be used as a great fundraising tool if they do give him that mugshot. I'm curious if you think, by the way, what the listeners think. I've been asking all my guests. I'd love to know what the listeners think uh, of whether they think that there's kind of two talking points that can't be true that they keep targeting Trump because they're afraid of him or they keep targeting Trump with these legal tripwires because they know it builds his support amongst the Republican constituency and he's the easiest of the candidates to take out. But I I, I don't think both things can be true. I'm curious to know what your thesis on this is. My own is that uh, my own is that they're just seeking vengeance. You know, Donald Trump said, I will be your retribution, but all they engage in is retribution. Um, that, that's, that's my own sense of it. I, I, five months ago, maybe five months ago, thought that Donald Trump wasn't the best general election candidate in the crop of those running. I'm not so sure I believe that anymore. In fact, I don't. I think he's I think he's as reasonably electable in a general election as any of the other candidates running for president under the Republican banner. Um, And one of the ways you can kind of get a tell for the position I'm holding, at least one of the ways I'm getting a tell for the position I'm holding on this about them going after Trump is the way the media is handling it. Up until today, the Washington Post had zero stories on Devon Archer, Hunter Biden's business partner, partner, and his testimony to Congress earlier this week. They had zero stories on him. Today, they do have a story. You want the headline? Hunter tried to sell family name, but Joe Biden never talked business. <laughs> you just... you. You cannot read the transcript of Devon Archer's, which was released today, perhaps knowing the Washington Post was going to write a headline like that, and come away with the notion that Joe Biden never talked talked business. In fact, here's a Fox headline that goes to the transcript. Devon Archer torpedoes Biden camp's defense of controversial dinner with Burisma Executive Hunter Biden's ex-business partner confirmed during his recent closed-door interview with the House Oversight Committee that then-Vice President Biden was at the infamous infamous spring 2015 dinner with Sun Hunter's foreign business associates, despite the Biden campaign repeatedly saying Biden was never there. Devon Archer told investigators that the elder, elder Biden had dinner with him and several others, including Vadim P. from Burisma. When Biden arrived, Archer said... Biden shook everybody's hand and joined their conversation. 
In 2020, the New York Post reported an explosive story about Hunter Biden introducing his then vice president father to a top executive at the Ukrainian firm Burisma, where Hunter had served on its board and collected $50,000 per month. The story set off a firestorm of rejections from Biden's close aides, Andrew Bates, who is now a White House spokesman but at the time worked on the communication team of the 2020 campaign, roundly denied the meeting ever happened. Bates told Politico the campaign reviewed Joe Biden's official schedules from that time and no meeting, as alleged by the New York Post, ever took place. Well, you can believe Joe Biden's spokesman or you can believe Hunter Biden's business partner who was there. But you can't believe the Washington Post. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Mike's in Carefree. Hey, Mike. Hi, Seth. How Thanks are you? for taking my call. You bet. How are you, man? Good. Well, I'm a little disappointed in our legal system, but my my thoughts are that when you said, you know, six months ago or five months ago, you you didn't think Trump would be there. I wasn't, yeah, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't as sure as I, as I am a little bit more so now, yeah. Well, I, I'm in the same boat. It's much better to have someone else. But as we move into a post-legal society in America, we have to wonder that we're not voting Trump versus Biden. We're really voting the rule of law versus the Democrat Party. Yeah. And the modern-day Levante Beria, show me the man, I'll show you the crime. Who other than a billionaire and somebody with his high-profile and obnoxious personality <laughs> could fight off the, uh, the stream of legal challenges that are, you know, at best frivolous? You know, it's a good point, Mike. And it tells. I'll tell you something else. I don't know if this offends you or not, as it does me. I'm getting a little tired of hearing Democrats every time there's an indictment or a legal process against Trump. I'm getting a little tired of these prosecutors and the Democrats saying because no one is above the law. It doesn't apply here. You have a special prosecutor. You have a special prosecutor whose only job is to go after Donald Trump. You're um, what? How do you pronounce the guy's name? Show me the man. I'll show you the crime. Um, Beria. Yeah, Beria. It's 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 a it's a talking point that doesn't wash because there are no other Americans in the country who have a spot special prosecutor assigned to do nothing but look for crimes against that man, that human being, that one individual. It's a talking point that doesn't work. He's the only man who is targeted by a special prosecutor. Yeah, they should put his his uh, mugshot on a t-shirt and say, step off the plantation and you're next. <laughs> I suppose that's right. I suppose that's right. But you've come to believe, as I have, that uh, Donald Trump, as much as almost anyone else on in the Republican primary field, it, it, it has the same, about, give or take, a couple points, about the same chances defeating Biden as any of the others, right? You, you, that, that's what yeah. you were saying. Yeah, I wasn't they're sure going, of that about to, eight months ago. I am now. They're going yeah. to destroy whoever. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. going to use the, 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 the letter of the law and yeah. the perversion of the law to destroy whatever conservative person. I think that's Trump, right. I Trump. think it's also true that this country has gone into such a downward spiral 
under such a clear and deliberate set of policies of the Democratic Party. I think that the rhetoric has become so toxic from that party. I think people are just sick of it, whether it comes to our schools, anything having to do with our culture, whether it comes to the issues of race, whether it comes to – I mean, they had a shot – they had a shot in the 2022 elections – on the abortion thing. But the more that shakes out, the more I think that's fleeting from the Democrats' hands and the more we're able to point out the extremism of their positions. And, you know, you can only call that, call that, uh, blow that siren so many times before people say, okay, well, you know what? We've lived without Roe versus Wade now for a couple few years and uh, life isn't that different, you know? Life just isn't that different. It wasn't, it wasn't the sky falling that they told us. You can only... I think, fooled the American people for so long. And I think there's an awful lot of independence, Mike. I think there's an awful lot of independence or non-affiliated party voters who are looking for someone to stand up against all this stuff and just say, it's enough, it's enough. And they may not register in the polls because they know that to say you're a supporter of Donald Trump is to invite some kind of criticism or critique or sneer. But, you know... In the privacy of the voting booth or the privacy of the mail <laughs> voting patterns, um, I think I think Trump's as good as any of them, and I think I think I'd rather be on our team than their team if it comes to winning an election next year. Yeah, I, I think that people need to read the book Three Felonies a Day and say, "Do you have enough money to fight them off if you cross the master?" That's what it's about, isn't it, Mike? That's what it's about. That's why it's not the legal system anymore. It's a legal system that's been hijacked by a political system. You just can't Whenever look at this go, legal God, system. Huh? When, you, when you get to the, the, the phrase that, that Clinton so often repeated was, the end justifies the means. When you, when you take that approach, you're no longer dealing with the, the American system. I whatsoever. think that's right, and I'll go one further with you, Mike. I think a lot of people are looking at what's being done right now and are saying the means don't justify the ends. Yeah, I maybe I don't that. want conservatism, but this isn't the way to do it. Right. The abuse of process matters here. The abuse of processes matters to a lot of people. Fundamental fairness still matters to a lot of people. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Be good. John in Phoenix. Hi, John. Hey, Seth. Thank, thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. Uh, How are you? Before I, good, Seth. One thing before I get into the business, I just wanted to mention you, you painted the picture of young David yesterday. Yes, sir. Um, he's doing a great job at producing, adding yes, a is. lot of creativity. Yes. Um, yeah, and you, you painted the picture of him of being this sort of retro, yeah. sort of 50-ish Sinatra guy. I want to make sure that he has seen the film, which I'm sure he has. You guys talk about films a lot. Swingers. Well, first of all, the we talk Twingers. about movies a lot, John. I'm very I'm very strict on this point. Oh, we're, I'm sorry, Seth. I said, I said films. That's yeah, correct. <laughs> we, need to, we are not France. We are not okay. France. We don't need to sissify like our your, movies. Yeah. I don't know. I yeah, when, and when you say when you say a man of the fifties, nineteen fifties, he's nowhere. Yeah, he's he's not in his. You meant the nineteen fifties? Yes, 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 yes. Right. Yes, I know his age, okay. approximate age. Okay. I talked with him. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. But no, you, do you guys both know the movie Swingers? Well, I Love certainly it. do. David, do you know the movie Swingers? It's uh, it's a it might be a little too modern for him, John. I don't know if he's Vince, seen a movie uh, that's it's, been made it's in Vince the Vaughn, right? I don't think he's seen a movie made in the last 40 years. 
that is the film, though, about people who drive vehicles like him and go swing uh, dancing. I und- well, maybe we're talking about two different movies. <laughs> which version? Well, which one are you thinking of? I believe it is. Uh, I'm thinking of the one from the nineties. No, it's John Favreau. Yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. 19, I think nineteen ninety-five or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Remember, in the, yeah. in, I used to live in Los Angeles, so they go dancing. Yes, at places uh, like yes. the okay, we're, on, we're on the same page, but no, young David would not have seen it because it was made in the nineties. He's never seen a movie made. But he's in the seen last some. Place. He's seen some old old films. You guys have talked about. Yes, old films. 1995 is not an old film. Movie, movie, movie. Now you're doing it to me, John. Movie. Okay, okay, I'm going to get into business. You can be corrupting yourself, but you can't corrupt others. See, swingers, you will love it. Guaranteed, love it. So anyhow, (laughs) Seth, I'm going to get into business. (laughs) As far as Trump... Let me take a break. Let's do business on the... Let's let's do business on the other side of the break, okay? I got to take a quick break. Okay, yep. Don't uh, okay. yeah. When you yeah, if if you use the word film and you start getting me to do it, that's not good. It's cosmologizing your deficiencies, John. We don't do that here. That could be a bumper sticker. Don't cosmologize your deficiencies. We'll be right back. I've never seen the film, but it's the right type of dance. With bank failures and stock markets volatility and talk of a recession and inflation, why refi has an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return, and it's not correlated to any of that, not the Federal Reserve, not the stock market. It's a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio, and it delivers a high f- fixed interest rate, up to 10.25%. That's right, at 10 0.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or call them at 888-YREFI-34. 888-YREFI-34. John, thanks for holding, sir. Okay. Seth, so, um, so yes, I do think they are afraid of him uh, for, for a few reasons. But the main reason being, I think he knows where the skeletons in the closet are. And He's not going to fight by the Marcus of Queensbury rules with them. He's going to get in the dirt with them, which is what he does. And I just get this impression, like when you watch McConnell, I mean, it's it's like, why is McConnell that way towards him? What, what? And I think he's got stuff on McConnell. He knows what's going on with McConnell, McConnell's wife, China. Uh, they, they, I guess they've been on the, possibly been on the take. Schweitzer's, uh, Peter Schweitzer's written books, McConnell's in it, uh, in one, in one of them called Red Handed. So I think guys like McConnell, Biden, the Clintons, um, even Bernie Sanders and such, I think, oh, John Kerry, I, I think, uh, I think Trump knows where to go and, and I think they fear for their legacies. And now you got the FBI and the DOJ. They would fear for their for their jobs. My guess is that last who- one. I mean, I, I I was talking a little bit about this yesterday, John, uh, yep. as well. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think that last one is true. I think the FBI and the DOJ is going to be cleaned out in a way that'll be like cleaning the uh, Augean stables uh, by almost any Republican that were to win the White House. I, I'm just less convinced. That there's this fear of Donald Trump having goods on these people uh, because 
I think it would have been revealed already if that were true, and he would have done something about it already if that were true. I, I, I think it's that they just know his appeal. There was a story this morning that Barack Obama has regular uh, lunches, confidential or off-the-record lunches with Mm -hmm. Joe Biden, Mm -hmm. and Barack Obama told Joe Biden not to underestimate Donald Trump's electability. And I think that the, the Democrats truly hate our policies, truly hate our policies, and know that we're in the way of their steady march of ideology. That's what I think it's about more than anything. For all the talk about Donald Trump, you know, being such a disruptor. What did he disrupt? What did, what, what, what did he break, so to speak? Very little that I can think of. Very little that comes to mind. The Democrats made a meal of restoring normalcy. This has been the least normal two or three years I can remember. When Donald Trump was president, aside from what the media said and what the Democrats said, we were kind of a normal country doing normal things, seems to me. Feel free to hold over on the break if you want to say a little more. Be right back. 